Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote, the letters, wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at the time, at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly, so they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and yield yourselves and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some of Asher of Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise you because you are not like the false gods who have mouths but do not speak and eyes but do not see. You have certainly spoken to us and you have watched over your word and you continue to do so, to carry it out. We ask that you would bless the reading of your word and now especially the preaching of your word. Watch over it and fulfill it according to your will. Grant us faith and love and open our hearts and minds to receive your word with joy and to apply it to our lives today and forever. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are considering this morning, is church unity important? The reason we ask the question is if we have as, as human beings, as creatures, as created beings, limited uh, time, uh, limited resources, limited energy, it's not infinite. We can't do everything that we want to do or needs to be done. So we have to have some kind of value system, some type of priorities to set in our lives. And one way to do that is figure out what's important to God. Because he's our creator and Jesus is our Lord. And what is important to them should then be important to us. In fact, if we want and hope and uh, expect and desire a you know, blessing on our time, talent, and treasure, then we should seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And then these other things will find their proper place. So we ask the questions like, is outreach important? Is leadership important? And this morning we asked the question, is church unity important? It was important to the New Testament writers about every letter they wrote, they emphasized church unity. Uh, Peter said in First Peter, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Paul told the Philippians, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. And of one mind. He wrote the Corinthians, finally, brethren, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It Acts says, the full number of those who believed in Jesus were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Well, you don't enjoin something on people not only because it's good, you sometimes do it because it's needed. And you look in the New Testament and there was conflict and dissension in Galatia, in Ephesus. Uh, Titus was written and sent to Crete because there was dissension and conflict. 
In Corinth, the conflict got so strong and divisive that it began to center on Paul, and things were said to him and about him in the public assembly that were so strong and so devastating that he actually left and wouldn't come back. He sent an emissary to try to get things straightened out before he would return. Because he says, if I return in this environment, I'll be forced to use my authority and power as an apostle. And that would be bad for you. So he sent an emissary to help heal the division and the rebellion. And it was successful. And he was able to come back to great blessing. So in the church in Jerusalem, there was conflict. Acts 6, some of the widows, the Greek-speaking widows, were being overlooked in the daily apportionment of food. And so this concern arose. It's always been true that there's always been tension and conflict in the church. And so there's a need, and Paul and Peter speak to it. In fact, we were here some months ago, and Sandy and I were talking with a, a newly minted associate pastor and his wife in this presbytery. And uh, he was out of seminary. She had received her degree. We were sitting there talking with him. And the first thing she asked me was, how do you remain in the pastorate when there's so much conflict? She was looking at mine and Sandy's gray hair. She figured we were down at the end. But they were at the beginning. And her question was, how do you last this long when there's so much tension and conflict in the church? So on the one hand, we have a desire to have unity. And the other hand, we often have a hard time achieving it. So, since it's enjoined by the apostles, let's talk about how important it is and how we can achieve it. Um, how to go about this? Take, if you would, Ephesians 4. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, verses uh, 1 uh, through 15. And Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul was not above using every tool at his disposal. And uh, Sandy and I have uh, followed the trails of Civil War and then Revolutionary War. I'm a big fan of George Washington. And we were in uh, New York, and we visited his uh, last encampment. Uh, there's a, huge, a beautiful museum there in the house that he stayed in. And then we visit another place that was the scene of uh, a rebellion because it was uh, the end of the uh, Revolutionary War. The troops had not been paid. Congress didn't have the power to raise money and the states weren't amenable to do so. And so some of the officers said, well, let's get together and rebel and march to Philadelphia and take over the Congress and demand our payment. Well, that would destroy this new republic. And so uh, Mr. Washington, General Washington, went down there to this big tent building, and he had a, a speech written, and he got up, 
And whether planned or not, he looked at his speech and then he reached in his coat and he took out these reading spectacles and he says, pardon me, gentlemen, I have grown blind in the service of my country. When he got through speaking, there was no rebellion. So Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, as a prisoner of the Lord, he's not above using the way George Washington is. I'm here, look at me. I'm a prisoner. So I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then this is the verse, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now let me show you how this verse breaks out. He goes down here. First of all, he says, live a life worthy of the calling. That's calling plus character. Paul always puts together content and character. He says, this is your calling, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. Now, live according to your calling, verse, uh, chapters uh, 4 through 6. And he gets specific about it. And what he's saying is, first of all, I have your outline there, the cause of unity. The verb there is know your heritage, know your DNA. That's where he's starting. And then he's going to say, think about the effect of unity, and then we're going to talk about the practice of unity. Um, Sandy, my wife Sandy is a registered nurse, and she does continuing education. And I love this brochure she got, changing how we feel by changing how we think. A six-hour program for health professionals. And it says, calming acute psychological stress. I could use that one to sound as that. Experiencing relief from anxiety. Pathways to feeling better. And all of it is based on changing how we feel by changing how we think. And this is what Paul is saying. Let's get our thinking straight, and then that will have an effect on our behavior. And he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he wants to get that straight. And then he does, he does the verb, make every effort to keep the unity. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A patience assumes there, there's going to be stress, that people are going to cause the stress. And then bearing means not forbearing. It means withholding response to offense or hurt. Now, I've often thought we should put this in our, our membership classes and in our membership vows. And so you do know that you will be offended by some of your brethren, and your job is to bear with it. In fact, the verb means hold them up, bear them up. You do know that your patience will be tried because of some of the people you have to deal with. Do you agree to that? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Then down in verse 4, he does three triplicals. You know, you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Scripture loves triples. Uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. One body, one spirit, one hope. See the triple there? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What he's doing is setting the stage that this is who we are. We should live the way we are. Or to put it another way, this is who we are. And this will make us want to live this way. We know when something isn't right. Have you ever been in that situation? It just doesn't feel right. I'm not comfortable with this. Something's wrong with this, you see. Something inside of you, something, the, the way your mind thinks, the way your heart works, is telling you this is right and this is wrong. It's called conscience, or it's called your mental worldview of the way things work. And so Paul is saying, look, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one spirit, one hope. God is over all and through all and in all. Know your DNA. Know your heritage. But let me be quick to point out that I need to say this before we go uh, any further. It says... um, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I like what uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said. The text bids us to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit, but does not tell us to maintain the unity of evil. And the reason for that is because too often, you remember, have you ever seen the movie The Green Mile with Tom Hanks and some others? Uh, very interesting. There's a messianic figure in there who has the ability to uh, touch others and, and understand what's going on in their lives. And there were two young girls that were taken by this man, and he said to one at night, if you make a sound, I'll hurt your sister. He turned, if you, if you make a sound, I'll hurt your sister. And so they both quietly went without making a sound from the home. And this messianic figure says he used their love against them. And sometimes we run into that, both outside the church and inside the church. We want to keep the unity of Christianity and be a united witness to the world. And therefore, we expect you to put up with evil, apostasy, murder, and abortion, and impurity. No, it says here the unity of the spirit, not the unity of evil. I mean, Satan and his minions are united. They all do what he says. Unity is not the sign of truth. In fact, we are meant to attack Satan's fortress, to knock down the foundation before we can start building the edifice of the kingdom of God. We can't call evil good or falsely tr- uh, or false as truth. We have to break down the foundation of evil. And what does scripture say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. 
We can't help people unless we help them see the truth. In fact, uh, a debate just took place at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. You know where Wilmington is, and there's a UNC chapter. And there's a professor there who's actually conservative, and at one point he was denied tenure, and they put in writing because of his Christian beliefs. So he sued, and it took years, but he won. And he got a large settlement and tenure. And now those poor professors at that university have to put up with him. <laughs> and he is an outspoken person. He teaches apologetics courses every summer to college students. His name is Mike Adams. I recommend him to you. And they just held a debate at UNC Wilmington with Dr. Uh, Willie Parker, who is a Christian abortionist. He's, he's a you know, pediatrician gynecologist. He's, he's he performed over 10,000 abortions, and he's written a book, Life's Work, colon, a, moral, a Moral Argument for Choice. And he says this is calling from God and his job to do abortions. And so they had a debate, and Mike Adams said this, the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision was a scientific and logical disaster, and that is why it absolutely must be overturned. That's attacking the foundation. He's saying science and logic are against this. It cannot stand. It's nice when science and logic are on your side. And Christians often find themselves in that situation. They say, this will lead to destruction of your health, of your family, of your community, and of your nation. God will judge this. We know historically, politically, scientifically, logically, this is wrong. It's hard to be a committed Christian these days and not be a controversialist. Because if we are light and salt, a light hid under a bushel is useless. Salt has lost its savior. Nothing in this passage says that we have to support a unity based on evil. You are sitting in a sanctuary this morning that's part of a denomination that left another denomination because evil was being called good and right was being called wrong and wrong was being called right. And, but when you leave, you have to be really careful that you have adequate reasons or you're being a schismatic. You're not laboring to keep the bond of peace in the body of Christ. And so one of the founders of that, Morton Smith, wrote a 300-page book based on, I think it was one of the prophets, Malachi 4.1. And the title of it is, How the Gold Has Become Dim." And he wrote out in detail, here was what was going on, and here is why we left. Because we owe that explanation to a watching world and other Christians because it is wrong to split the body of Christ. So he felt impelled to give 300 pages of reasons. I read it and I was embarrassed. The airing of dirty linen, who would write this? 
because we had to to explain why we left and you judge if the reasons were acceptable. You live in a country that, as one of my professors from South Africa said in seminary, broke and violated Romans 13 about being submissive to the governing authorities and rebelled against England, the mother country. And I said, well, we have a document. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bounds which have connected them one another and assume the powers of the earth separate and equal stations, when you do that, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires they should, they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And so they went on to write the Declaration of Independence. Have you ever read it? It's a very boring document. Page after page of the king did this and the king didn't do that and the parliament did this and the parliament didn't do that. And it's very boring because it was 200 years ago. But you know why it's important? Because they didn't want to be seen as rebellious. There comes a time when we have to stand up, when we have to attack Satan's citadel, when we have to attack the foundation, when we stand against the unity of evil and for the unity of the spirit. And sometimes you can't have both. So nothing in this passage says that we have to do that. On the other hand, it is true that a divided church is not a happy church. And a divided church is not an effective church. So Paul tells everybody, work on unity. And he starts by doing this in Ephesians by saying these words. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. So, our thesis is, the unity is based on the Holy Spirit. And that unity is engendered by those who believe in Jesus Christ, confess their sins, are born anew, receive a new spirit, and are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ for now and all of eternity. And that is an organic unity based on the faith once delivered to the saints, and the apostles' teaching. You can't maintain what you don't have. So in the church full of wheat and weeds, if we have those who have not yet given their heart to the Lord and are not born again, it's going to be very difficult to maintain this unity with those people. If we live in this world, which is under the power of Satan, and keeps coming up with evil apostate, unclean things, we can't have unity. So Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's the unity. And if we have that, then he says, we should work to maintain it. So let's go on. He talks about the effect of unity. That is, first of all, know your heritage, know your DNA, know who we are. I had one guy, uh, an elder, and he had uh, four, four sons back in Minnesota. 
and he had a line that he would use on his boys. I'm surprised that you did that. I didn't expect that of you. You're not like that. You know better. It's not you. And that's what Paul is saying. Live who you are. But then look at this. I like what he does here. He says, um, but, you see verse 7? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He says, look, there's unity, but in that unity, there's diversity. Have you noticed there's one God in three persons? Each with a different mission. They all have the same purpose, to glorify God. To bring glory to themselves as a unity. But they each had a different mission. God planned it, salvation. Jesus provided it, and the Holy Spirit applies it. Later this uh, morning when we have a meeting, we'll be voting on the mission, vision, and values that we put together. By the way, you can write in your bulletin, it says, benediction, dismissal. It's a benediction, congregational meeting, dismissal. And the purpose is to glorify God. But the church has to figure what its mission is. Our mission is to make disciples. Well, how? We have to answer that question. Because we don't have infinite time, talent, and treasure. We have to make choices. So you see one God in three persons. God believes in diversity. Look at the flowers. They're all flowers. Endless shape, endless hues, different odors. God loves diversity. And he spread it out in the church. Different personalities, different backgrounds, different ways of thinking. Some are audio, some are visual, some are kinetic. Some want to plan it. Some want to do it. And then he, he put men and women together in the same church. Who can hope for unity? <laughs> There's no way that ladies come in with a summer dress and I come in with a t-shirt and a shirt and a wool coat and a piece of silk tied around my neck that we can be comfortable temperature-wise in the same room. It ain't going to happen. Diversity. But God delights in diversity. He says right here, he gave each one of a grace means gifts and abilities and a talents. And he said his plan is that all that would work together. And he says here at the end, he says, verse uh, 16, from the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Diversity. We are supposed to appreciate that diversity and give opportunity for it to work, but realize that very diversity can bring miscommunication and tensions. But we're not supposed to suppress it. We're supposed to appreciate it. Because where did it come from? It says right there. Each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. These are gifts to the church. 
So we expect there to be give and take and tension and disagreement. But then we keep going back to the idea, hey, we're one family. We are one in Christ if we have the unity of the Spirit. And then he uses these words, make every effort. If it takes patience, if it takes bearing, do what you need to do. But pull it together. And don't be a schismatic. And if you do, have good reason. Type that you could write up 300 pages. <laughs> or a document called the Declaration of Independence. So, he said, what, the way Paul does it, he said, look, and Peter, he goes from the cause to the effect. He says, this is who you are. Start living that way and realize this. Your job is to make disciples, to glorify God. Be careful of your effect in the world. Because a lack of disunity among God's people dismays the world. Because they say, if they can't keep it together, what hope is there for us? When they are baptized into the body of Christ and born again, and they can't keep unity, how can we? It dismays the world. But it also can have a positive effect. That's what happens, happened in Acts 6 when this split was threatening the new church because the widows were being overworked. And they said the apostles, the church is too big. The apostles don't know who we are and they don't care about us. And then the apostles said, we're going to do our job preaching and praying. You appoint some leaders of your own choosing and they'll manage this problem. And the problem got managed so well it disappeared. And then it says many priests became believers because priests were in charge of running the, the temple and all of his jobs. And when that problem got solved, the priest said, something's going on here. Something powerful. Something effective. Because it's one thing to, to say Jesus is Lord. It's another thing for them to live it in such a way they can solve problems. And he said, not only think about your heritage, but think about your effect. One Scottish preacher said, can you not be united in the face of the enemy? Uh, Billy and Jane were brothers and sisters. And they fought all the time. And they fought all day. And they fought till they went to bed. And then this terrible thunderstorm came up. Lightning and crashes of thunder. And so the father said, I need to check on my kids. And he went and checked in one bedroom and it was empty. He said, what's going on? He went to the other bedroom and they were in bed together. He said, what happened? They said, we decided in the thunderstorm to get over our differences. <laughs> Paul said... Be aware of your effect. Make every effort. But then let's talk about the practice of unity. And the way that comes about is over here in verse 16. Each part does its work. Each part does its work. So let's talk about each part because 
What does Paul say in Ephesians 4? How is this unity balanced by diversity supposed to be managed? And he says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and shepherds, elders and deacons. He said, I've given you leaders who can help bring order out of chaos. That's where cosmos, order. That's where cosmetology comes from. Order out of chaos. Make up. That's a joke. You can laugh. Can you hear me back there? Each part doing its job. So let's look at the job, okay? Let's look at the job, first of all, of the leaders. And I give you an alliteration. Leaders don't lord. It says here in uh, 1 Peter 5, To the elders among you, from Peter, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who will share in the glory. See, he's saying, here's who I am. I'm an apostle. I saw Christ suffer. And I'm going to share in glory because I'm going to be crucified. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, I say to the elders, serving as overseers, not because you must, because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. He's saying, I've given you a lot of authority and power. Don't use it to lord over the sheep. Leaders don't lord. In fact, I have a saying. I've always been around situations where I seem to end up working with people that have a high opinion of their own opinion. And so I naturally have and have tried to cultivate a low opinion of my own opinion. Moses was that way. And so I don't mind expressing an opinion do I? Transition team and elders and deacons know that. But I hope I say, now what do you think? What can we agree on? Let's put it all together. Because I've got an opinion, but I don't have a big high opinion of my opinion. Because every year I get older, I figure out how little I know. And the longer I live as a Christian, I figure out how sinful I am. Because you get to see more of the depths of evil in your own heart. And so the older I get, the least likely I am to think I have something worth saying. Don't lord it. And that's why I was so encouraged that when I got here, the elders done what they've already done in the past, but we renewed. Assigning members and regular tenders to every elder. And they willingly took it on. And every month, two elders report. If you go out that hall and turn left, there's a board there, a cork board, and every elder's there, including me, with a list of people for whom they're responsible. And we apologize. Uh, if you looked at it last week and didn't see your name there, we put it up by head of household. If you go out there now, you'll see every individual name listed. We apologize for that. We were in a hurry. Every name. Well, if that's the job of leaders, what's the job of members? That comes from Hebrews, where Paul says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
And he says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch of you as those who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be an advantage to you. So leaders don't lord. Members don't mumble. It's just alliteration. Don't mumble. Don't groan. It's the job of leaders to make sure everyone gets an opportunity to express their opinion. We've had two weeks of small group meetings of discussing what we're about to vote on today. We've assigned every member and regular tender to an elder that you can go to, and his job is to give you his ear. And so what the Lord says is, if you have a chance to express your opinion, then make every effort to keep the bond of peace. And the simple rule is, when we all agree and vote, can you support that 100%? We're going to be voting on a lot of things. We hope to improve our, uh, and update our Constitution and bylaws. That's coming. We'll be calling a pastor. Uh, we'll be voting this morning. I was at one General Assembly in Michigan, and one guy didn't like some of the things that were being done. And every point that came up, he got up and spoke eight times. And we were on a college campus, and we weren't going out to eat. We had meal tickets. And I said, I tell you what, after the third time, he has to give a meal ticket to get up and speak. How about that? <laughs> My limit was three times. And he's a great guy. And I said, why are you talking so much? He says, because when we vote, I'm going to support it 100% with my whole heart. So I want to get my kicks in before they vote. <laughs> I said, good man. Don't mumble. You know, when I go to church, the church is so amazing. People think that they can express their disagreement in new ways. But I've seen it in Sandy so many times. I can't, okay, right on time. That's what I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, Someone didn't speak to me in church, or someone spoke the wrong way. So I'm not going to, I want to stay away from church until somebody notices I'm not there and calls me up and comes after me. There we go. Passive aggressive. I, I'm going to withhold my, my giving or my ministry or not show up. I, I'm invented a new way to express my displeasure. Right. Right on time. Saw it coming. We're going to bear with that and be patient because we're all in this together. But it would be awfully good if the person would say, I had my say. Thank you for listening. The bus is leaving. Let's get on the bus. See, we want everybody on the bus, but getting on the bus is an individual choice. We respect individual choice. So leaders don't lord, members don't mumble, and that frees all of us up to serve. So Paul says, look, think about who you are, your DNA, your heritage. You are one in the Lord. But appreciate and respect the diversity. Enjoy it. Use it. Keep in mind the effect you're having on your ministry and witness. And whatever you do, endeavor, work hard, labor to keep that unity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid a price for our sin.
and your reward is a people throughout time and eternity that the Holy Spirit is united into one body, your body, the body of Christ. And we, having believed in you, are made part of that body. Thank you for that unity. And thank you for the diversity. Father, we know unity is not unanimity, but it is agreement. Give us that, Father, in our hearts and minds. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.